Good morning. Grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Samuel. We are in week four of our four-week series through the life of David. And if you're new with us at FCC, or maybe you haven't been around a lot this year for whatever reason, we're doing something that we haven't done probably ever, at least not for a while. We're just taking one-month looks at different key characters, key heroes of the faith, And this month, we've been journeying through the life of David. You may say, how can you do the life of David in four weeks? You can't, quite honestly. There's a whole lot that we're not studying. Uh, But we're just trying to give you an inside look, kind of maybe spur you on to read more throughout the week about the lives of these great heroes of the faith. Next week, um, I will not be here. Adam Brucker, our youth minister, will be launching a series through one of the great prophets in the Bible, Elijah. We're going to look at the life of Elijah for the month of August. Now, before we get to David and 2 Samuel chapter 6, I do want to make you aware of a couple of prayer requests that are out there. Many of you have been um, praying fervently for the Emory family, and specifically uh, Rachel and Norm's newborn little girl by the name of Naomi. She was born nine days ago. I was able to visit with them yesterday at length in Peoria. Um, little Naomi needs a lot of prayer. That's what I would like to pass on to you. Um, not going to really share a lot of specifics. They're not wanting a lot of specifics to be shared other than pray, pray, pray. Um, Rachel's been at the hospital nonstop. Michaela, their daughter's up there a lot. Um, really lift up the Emory family during this very, very difficult time. The the second thing that I want to bring to your attention today is we asked you this week, Uh, to pray for our high school students that went on a mission trip to Joplin, Missouri. And Adam led that group, and several of our adults, including Jim, were on that trip, I think 24 students. And it just sounds like it was an incredible, life-changing experience. Uh, My daughter would not stop talking about it. I had to finally just cut her off after a while. My my brain couldn't take anymore. But it was all really good, Um, just a great blessing. A lot of students on fire for the Lord. So you may say, what's the prayer request? My prayer request is that these students and these adults will be salt and light in Clinton and in central Illinois. And they will really um, be infectious with the people that they encounter in the days and weeks ahead. So incredible week and just excited all the good things that happen during that time. Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. Last week, my good friend Mike Malik from Florida brought us a message from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Did a great job kind of giving us an overview of the life of David. Before that, we had looked at his calling, uh, his being anointed the next king of Israel. And then we looked at the great narrative, David and Goliath, that great battle. We're going to jump toward uh, may- maybe the middle part of David's life right now. Uh, in reality, we probably should spend some time in chapter 18 or chapter 19 or chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, but we're going to jump all the way ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I need to connect some dots from where we were two weeks ago after the great battle um, with Goliath, the Philistine giant. David has become the second king of Israel. You may remember that God's people cried out to Samuel, we want a king. All the other countries, all the other nations have a king. We want to be like them. And the Lord gave in to them and said, okay. And Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul's reign was not a good reign. There were some ups, but there were many more downs. And finally, after a while, Saul is no more. Saul actually took his own life. And um, 
in the midst of that, David's best friend Jonathan also dies. So when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is king, the second king of Israel. David's going to rule for 40 years as king. Seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. And, and this is probably no secret to you. Most people would say that David was Israel's greatest leader. You look in the Old Testament, he is number one in the hearts and minds of so many. When we get to 2 Kings chapter 6 this morning, many positive things have happened. But what David is going to do this morning is, is maybe the greatest legacy that he is going to leave. It's greater than the legacy of his battle with Goliath. It's greater than his legacy of, of being a better king than Saul. So with no further ado, let's dive in. The message is really simple. If you want to fill in the blanks, feel free to do it. I have three lessons that I want us to learn this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 7. And lesson number one is this. David makes the decision to make worship the most important value in his life. And that's a connecting point for us in 2012. That's a connecting point for us, whether you're someone that just loves the hymns and the organ, or you're someone that says, my, my favorite kind of worship is the praise band and the drums, or maybe you're a cappella. You love to just hear the voices belt out in the name of the Lord. This is a connecting point for us. See that David makes worship the most important value in his life. And the first way that he does that is he brings the ark to Jerusalem. David brings the ark to Jerusalem. So let's read God's word together. 1 Samuel 6, beginning with verse 1. It says, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Now they set the ark of God on a new cart. And brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. With songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. This is a great day. In, in the history of the nation of Israel. You probably know this, but the ark is a symbol of the presence of the Lord himself. And the ark was taken back into battle as early as 1 Samuel chapter number 1. After years of absence, the ark is now being taken to Jerusalem by David. What I want you to see this morning, this is an intentional act by David to help reconnect the Lord's people with their history. He's wanting them to understand how rich their history is. And too many times, we give up on our past. Too many times we say, I'm a forward-thinking individual, I live in 2012, forget about 1950, forget about 1960, forget about 1990, we're all about the present, we're all about the future. Now, we should not live in the past. For example, 50 years ago, if you would have come to this church, you wouldn't be in this building. This would have been a parking lot, I believe. But 50 years ago, in the old sanctuary, who would have been preacher then? That 62, that would have been Junkins, probably. More than likely, he wouldn't have been wearing a very sporty polo on Sunday morning, right? He'd have had a suit and tie on, correct? 
And some of you, you want the suit and tie, and you'll probably see it this fall. We shouldn't live in the past. Say, that's how it was 50 years ago. That's how it has to be today. But we need to understand our past. We need to recognize our past. We need to value our past. Ernie and I did a week of camp a, a week ago out at Little Galilee with 5th and 6th grade students. And one thing different that we did, we've never done this before, we made them each morning watch a little bit about the history of Little Galilee Christian Camp. They produced a great DVD in 2005 to celebrate their 50-year anniversary. And J.D. Harold featured on that wherever you are. And Jim and Marge Peterson are on there. And Ken Rutledge and Bob Phillips and Sid Folk. And I really thought going into this, this is probably going to be a snoozer. You know, they're probably not going to really be into it. When we turned it off the first day, they're like, no, keep it going. We want to see more. There's something helpful about understanding the past. And David, so brilliant here in helping his people understand their past. Secondly, number two, the journey that they're on is going to involve disappointment. Let's read on together, verse 6. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Now, just stopping right there, that sounds like a good thing to do, right? You want the ark to go spilling over, right? Okay, well, let's read on and see what happens. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry. Because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of God ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. What do we do with this? Is this one of those sections you just skip over? Is this one of those sections you pretend is not in Scripture? Um, it's hard for me to understand this in my American mind 2012. Uzzah's trying to be a good guy. Uzzah's trying to help out, and he's struck dead? Are you kidding me? What is that all about? And this is a great principle. We've been studying this in our Sunday school class. It's a principle that's easy to say. It's hard to embrace. It's hard to live. Here's the principle. God is God. Greg is Greg. Jim is Jim. We shouldn't try to be God. We shouldn't try to understand why every decision is made like it is. Here's the deal. Throughout Old Testament history, time and time and time again, you were never supposed to touch the ark. It was holy. It, it symbolized the presence of the Lord in so many ways. So we read this and we say, that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. That's not right. Let's have a trial. Let's try to figure out what's going on here. And, and I will just say this. This might be hard for some of us to swallow. You may have gone through a time, you may be going through a time where you're disappointed with something that unfolded. And you're crying out like David cried out, saying, God, what gives? God, I don't understand this. God, this isn't fair. God, I would do it differently. God, where were you? God, why? 
And I would just say I'm, I'm a newly minted 43-year-old. In my 43 years on this earth, the older I get, the more I understand that there is disappointment in my walk with the Lord. I don't always understand why things unfold like they do. It's not always peaches and cream. It's not always pie in the sky. I don't, I don't like that. If I was in charge, I might do things differently. But the journey here involves disappointment. And what I want you to see is how David responds to the disappointment. Because sometimes when we're disappointed, sometimes when we're disappointed with God, sometimes when, like David, we're angry at the Lord, we have a choice to make. Do we draw near? Do we push away? Do we say, God, I need you more than ever now? Or do we say, God, I'll show you. I'll show you. Let's see how David responds. Number three, David dances with, before the Lord with all his might. In verse 12 it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything in it because of the ark of the Lord. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. And he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Anybody know what a linen ephod is? Any idea? Do we wear linen ephods today? Not, not exactly. But it's basically his underwear. Basically. Now, I thought about dancing before the Lord with all my might in my underwear today. But, um, no, that's a joke. Relax, relax. Some of you are frowning. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's really what's happening here. David is so committed to the Lord. He's so committed to worship at this point. He dances before the Lord with all his might. Do you see the connection? David's disappointed. He's angry that the Lord struck down Uzzah. He says, what can I ever do? And the very next thing that's written about him, it's some time has passed, three months has passed. He's dancing before the Lord in his underwear with all his might. And I think what he's doing there, this is me kind of reading between the lines, I think he's humbling himself, and he's saying, yes, I'm the king. Yes, people say I'm the man, but I love you so much. I'm going to get in my underwear and dance before you in an act of worship. How's David respond to the disappointment? He humbles himself, and he dances before the Lord with all of his might. Number four, not everyone in David's life embraces this unconditional worship. 
Chapter 6 concludes with these four verses. When David returned home to bless his household, he's going to bless his household. Michael, his wife, is part of the household. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. Do you hear the sarcasm? She's cutting at him. She's giving it to him good. Listen to David's response. He says to Michael, It was before the Lord, who, oh, by the way, chose me rather than your father or anyone in his house, when he appointed me ruler over God, the, Lord, the Lord's people Israel. And then listen to this. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. And then I love this. He says, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And then we see this parenthetical note. Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David saying, was I undignified? You better believe it. Was I wearing my kingly robes? Not at all. And guess what, honey? I'm going to get even more undignified than this. Because my commitment is to the Lord. I'll love the Lord more than anything else. More than you, more than anything else. He is number one. That's a life lesson for all of us this morning. Not, not the underwear part, not, not, not that. We need to get to the point to where we can say unashamedly, God, Lord my God, you're the most important value in my life. You're the most important relationship in my life. And if my neighbors don't like it, that's okay. And if my friends don't like it, that's okay. Um, I found it interesting, maybe you've read about the, the fervor that's, that's blowing up against the restaurant chain Chick-fil-A. It's blowing up because the CEO said that, uh, being interviewed by a Baptist magazine, said that, we support the biblical definition of marriage. One man, one woman. We're guilty as charged was Dan Cathy's exact words. And the mayor of Boston saying you can't bring a Chick-fil-A here. And the mayor of Chicago is saying your values aren't Chicago values. And all over Facebook and the internet, there's all kinds of petitions. Don't eat at Chick-fil-A. Um, which, by the way, Chick-fil-A is some good eating. Let me just tell you, we don't have any around here. It's some good stuff. Um, I love so much the fact that someone, not, not an in-your-face comment, not, not looking for a broad national proclamation, he's basically saying, we value God's Word. We embrace God's Word. Are some people not going to like it? Probably. Can we have a restaurant on the south side, south side of Chicago? Maybe not. Are there people that are going to rise up and protest against this? Maybe. I'm taking a stand. David, right here, is taking a stand. David's saying, this is the most important part of my life. You are my life. There's a lesson for us there. Well, the last two lessons that I want us to see this morning, we're going to jump through pretty quickly. But I would say this, chapter 7 is one of only two unconditional covenant promises that we see in the Old Testament. One of only two. It's a rich, rich chapter. We won't do justice to it in the next 10 minutes. Let me encourage you to spend time in chapter 7 uh, 
this week. And lesson number two for us is this. David receives a blessing beyond his wildest dreams. David lays it on the Lord, says, God, you're the most important thing. Here's what happens. Let's read God's word together. David, the Lord pours out an unconditional covenant to David. It says, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead, do it, for the Lord is with you. Now that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on the earth. And I will provide a, a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Understand, this promise is absolutely incredible. We put it up on the screen. David's name will be great now and forever. I mean, forever is a long time. The Lord says this isn't just, you know, this year. 1000 BC, whenever it is. Your name will be great forever. The warrior's going to find rest from his enemies. We don't understand that context in 2012, do we? Because most of us aren't warriors. Very few of us have had to even go into a battle. That was David's life. That's what his world was all about. He says, you're going to find rest from your enemies. The love of the Lord will never leave you, and your house and your throne will be established forever. The first unconditional promise that we see in Scripture is God's promise to Abram, who would become Abraham. I'm going to make you a nation, a land, and a blessing. And right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord pours out a second unconditional covenant promise to David and says, your name will endure forever. Your name will endure forever. So let me ask you right now, if I asked you to take out your bulletin or to take out your, your sermon note sheet and to just start jotting down the blessings that the Lord has poured out upon you and your household and your family, could you? Are we so caught up in 2012 in what we don't have or what we want or what we think we need 
that we've missed the blessings that are right there in front of us? As this came to David, can you imagine his heart? Imagine how he felt at this point as this unconditional covenant promise was being poured out to him. And let me just remind you that the Lord's poured out some promises to you, my friend. He's poured out promises like no temptation will will seize you except which is common to man. In in the Great Commission, we're promised that, that the presence of the Lord will be with us always to the very end of the age. If we follow Christ, if Jesus is Lord of our life, We are promised that what we go through on this world, the ups and downs, the highs, the lows, we're not going to have to deal with that for eternity. Isn't that incredible? It's awesome. Lesson number three, I want you to see this morning that David responds to this unconditional covenant promise with an unconditional commitment to the Lord. Here's David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel? One nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Real quickly, I want you to see David's response is prayerful. Secondly, David's response is humble. Thirdly, David's response brings honor to the Lord. David's response is prayerful. David's response is humble. David's response brings honor to the Lord. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you find yourself wrestling with God, you find yourself struggling with how things unfold, maybe you've got an Uzzah-type experience, and you don't get it, and you're not pleased, and you're not happy, Let me give you a very short prayer. Pray it every day. Pray it multiple times every day. And here's the prayer. It's from David. O sovereign Lord, you are God. O sovereign Lord, 
you are God. O sovereign Lord, you are God. God is God. Greg is Greg. You are you. And when we face disappointment, when we find ourselves discouraged, there's books you can read, medicine you can take, Sometimes maybe what we need to do is we need to say, Oh, sovereign Lord, you are God. We'll praise you when you bless us. And we'll praise you when our heart absolutely breaks in half. And so I leave you with three questions today. Number one is worship the most important value in your life. Now, I talked earlier about a connecting point, and maybe you like hymns in the organ, and maybe you like contemporary worship in the drums, or maybe you're just an a cappella singer. You love to just hear the voices. And what I want you to see is worship so much more than that. You know that. Worship so much more than just the music we sing at 8.15, or the music we sing at 11 o'clock, or the music I sing when I'm walking the dog at 5.30 in the morning, hopefully no one's around. I mean, it's so much more than that. It's our life. Romans 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Is worship the most important value in your life? Number two, are you able to recognize how God's blessed you? Are you able to recognize the way the Lord has poured out blessing upon you? And then finally, number three, where are you at commitment-wise? One of the cool things about doing church camp um, at Little Galilee, any place for that matter, but our context is Little Galilee, is you see students that come in, even the 5th and 6th grade age group, they come in on Sunday and they're worried about baseball games and they're worried about who am I going to stay next to at night and they're worried about who's going to be in my family group and you get a little bit older into the high school, who am I going to take to campfire and, you know, how's, how's the week going to unfold? And then you flash forward to Wednesday night, Thursday night, decision time. And you see kids come forward and say, I want to follow Jesus all the days of my life. And it almost seems like a magic transformation. Every year it happens where we have kids and we're saying on Sunday night, how are we ever going to survive him this week? How are we ever going to survive her this week? And they end up becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And I wish I could take that and I wish I could pump that into to my heart and your heart and our hearts. Because I think sometimes we get so into routine. It's just what we do. Maybe 8.15 Sunday's the routine, but it's just kind of the thing that we do. How's your commitment? Are you like David where you can say, this is the most important part of my life? Or are you just going through the motions. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are God. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thank you for two of, uh, two of the great chapters in David's life. And thank you for his heart. A heart that was after your heart. I want to be like that. I want us to be like that. 
when uh, the parades of life unfold, we praise you. When the storms of life visit us, we praise you. Because you are God. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Uh, we pray this morning that that will be your commitment, that, that you will be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what has gone on in your life, regardless of what is going on in your life, or regardless of what's in the future in your life, is that you will make him number one in your life. And I look out and I see many of you and, and you're shaking your heads, yes, I've made him first in, more in my life. 